Welcome to Lead On, the program where we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm Jeff Ords, the president of Gateway Seminary, and it's my privilege and pleasure to talk with you each week about practical issues related to ministry leadership. We try to focus here on the day-to-day grind of what it means to lead a church or a ministry organization, to be a pastor, a president, a program director, to be a deacon, an elder, someone who has responsibility in a ministry organization. Today, I want to shift the focus, not so much on talking about organizational leadership, but really talking more about a personal issue that's important. It's really vital for ministry leaders. Today, I want to talk about practicing self-discipline, developing self-control. I want to talk about what it means as a leader to practice discipline and self-control and the impact that can have throughout your organization. Now, ministry leaders must develop self-control, must develop self-discipline for a number of different reasons. First of all, uh, we have to be self-controlled because we're expected to model proper behavior in so many different areas. If you're a ministry leader, people are looking to you for direction in everything from parenting skills to personal witnessing to financial management. And frankly, it requires discipline to be able to model positively so many different areas of life. Now, no one of us is a perfect model in all these areas. In fact, none of us is really even a perfect model in any of these areas. But all of us in leadership are expected to model progress and growth in multiple areas. Another reason self-discipline or self-control is very important is our behavior is limited in ways that our followers is not. Now, this is hard sometimes, but it's true. Ministry leaders don't have all the freedoms that other people have. Our decisions about how we behave, what we say, how we dress, what kind of entertainment we consume. All of these kinds of things are a part of us modeling what it means to be a Christian and to be a Christian leader. And in order to do that, you've got to have self-discipline or self-control. Another reason this is such a vital issue for ministry leaders is because of the nature of our workload, We have a lot of demands on us, and the higher you rise in leadership or the broader the breadth of responsibility that you're given, the more discipline will be required to get it all done. Our work is demanding, and in order to get it done well, we have to have scheduling discipline, time use discipline, financial discipline. We have to be able to do all of these things with some self-control. And finally, another reason why ministry leaders need self-control is that we usually don't have close supervision. Now, I just said on the show last week about the importance of having supervisory roles in ministry organizations, and I certainly understand and believe that. But quite frankly, a lot of ministry leaders, especially those who are higher up in their organizations, just simply don't have that much day-to-day supervision from anyone. So in order to maintain the kind of work ethic and work focus and work discipline that we need requires self-discipline or self-control. So these are just some of the reasons why today on the show I want to talk about how to develop greater self-control, how to develop greater self-discipline as a leader. Now, the word self-control is a little bit of a puzzle to me. 
You know, in the Bible, in Galatians chapter 5, there's a listing of what are called the fruit of the Spirit. And one of those is self-control. Now, it's the self part that troubles me or that puzzles me. These are supposed to be Spirit-produced qualities, and yet the Spirit-produced quality is described as being self-control. Now, the reason that puzzles me is because it seems like on the surface that what the Bible is saying is that we need to trust the Spirit to produce fruit in us, but we also need to come up with some self-control. Well, that's not what it's saying. It's actually saying that the Spirit of God will produce in us self-control. It seems like a contradiction on the surface, but it's not, because in this context, self-discipline or self-control refers to self as the object of our discipline, of the, as the object of our control, rather than its source. So the Bible is not saying generate self-generated uh, control. The Bible's not saying create self-generated control. The Bible is saying allow the spirit to produce control or discipline over the self. So when the Bible uses the phrase self-control, it's not saying control that self has generated. It's saying self-control, meaning control over self. Self-discipline, meaning discipline over self. And so we can ask God to work in us self-control or self-discipline as one of the fruit of the Spirit of God at work in our lives. Not meaning that we've generated by ourselves control or discipline, but instead God has, did, uh, God has generated within us control or discipline over ourselves. Man, that's a fresh way to see that and a good way to understand this paradox of the spirit producing self-control. You know, there are a lot of examples of disciplined leaders in the Bible, but my favorite has always been Joseph, Jesus's stepfather. You know the story. Joseph and Mary were betrothed, moving toward marriage. When Mary announces that she's pregnant and that she's never had a sexual relationship with any other man, that she's impregnated by God himself, and that she is herself a virgin. Well, the Bible goes on to tell the story that Mary and Joseph then got married, and it's reasonable to expect that they would have developed a sexual relationship that was both their privilege and joy as a young married couple. But the Bible says that Joseph did not do that. Instead, he maintained his self-discipline and his self-control and did not consummate his marriage with Mary. Now listen carefully. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus was also conceived in a virgin. There's the virgin conception, the moment in which Jesus became a part of Mary and was inside of Mary. And then there's the virgin birth, when Jesus came out of Mary and was separated from Mary. Now listen carefully. The virgin conception, the virgin conception was God's responsibility. 
but the virgin birth? That was Joseph's. Jesus was conceived in a virgin by an act of God. Jesus was born of a virgin by the discipline of a man. So when I think about self-discipline and self-control, when I think about God generating discipline and control in my life so that I might make choices to do what's right in the moment every single time, I reflect on the example of Joseph and what that example means to me and what his actions have meant throughout Christian history. Because of Joseph's self-discipline and self-control, the biblical prophecy that Jesus would not only be born, uh, conceived in a virgin, but born of a virgin was fulfilled. Now, having laid out some of the reasons why this is important and then look at the, looked at these biblical uh, examples and instructions, let's talk now very practically, as we like to do on this program, about some ways to develop greater spiritual self-control and spiritual self-discipline. How can you do it? Well, the first thing that I would suggest is to master a difficult area. To master a difficult area. In other words, rather than trying to maintain control and discipline in every area of your life every day and feeling completely overwhelmed by that, choose a difficult area and master it. I remember a number of years ago when I woke up and realized that I was chubby. (laughs) I had started out as a pretty thin guy when I got married, but good cooking and lifestyle change and a couple of decades of aging, and I had gotten a little bit flabby around the middle. And I realized that I needed to get control of my appetites and get control of eating. And if I didn't do that, then if I stayed on the trajectory I was on, by the time I reached a middle and late adulthood, I was going to be significantly overweight. And so I decided to do something about it, and then I found out how hard that was. But ultimately, I decided to do a series of fasts in order to break my dependence on eating and to demonstrate that I could take control over my appetites and master this very difficult area of food intake. Now, this took a few months of a series of fasts, breaking those fasts, changing the way I ate between the fast, et cetera, et cetera. You get the idea. I won't need to go into all those details here on the program. But suffice it to say that over those period, that period of a few months, I mastered a difficult area in my life. And here's what surprised me. Once I accomplished that, once I, through the fasting experience, gained control of my appetite, started limiting the amount that I was eating, and actually got control of my food intake, For the first time in my life where I was making very conscious, deliberate, careful choices about what I ate, the thing that really surprised me was what I'll call the spillover effect. I started experiencing greater discipline, greater self-control in other areas like my thought life, like the use of my words, like the management of my anger. I noticed that even though I wasn't working on these other areas, I was actually showing more discipline in them as well because I had mastered this one difficult area related to eating or to food intake. So that year was a very significant year for me. It was a year in which I 
worked hard to manage or to master one big area, eating, food intake, appetite control. I did that with a series of fasts, some that lasted multiple days and really helped me to understand what it meant to take control of this important area in my life. Now, the spillover effect, as I said, was that I started showing greater discipline and greater self-control in multiple other areas, and I saw a rise, if you will. The old illustration, you know, rising tide raises all boats. Well, in this case, the rising tide of my self-discipline, which I thought was just going to raise the one boat of controlling my appetites and controlling my food intake, actually had a positive impact much broader in other areas of my life. So one of the practical suggestions I can give you as a ministry leader and as a uh, organizational leader to help you personally develop greater self-control, self-discipline, is to choose a difficult area and master that area. Whether it's food intake, whether it's managing your entertainment choices, whether it's actually involves something with exercise, all kinds of different things can be put on the table here. But choose an area that's difficult for you and work hard for not just a week or a day, but maybe for a year, really mastering that area and then See if you don't find this spillover effect, raising your level of self-discipline in other areas as well. Another suggestion for creating greater self-discipline or self-control is to work on a special project. To work on a special project. Now, here's a couple of examples. A few years ago, um, I formed a group with some co-workers that we called a scripture memory group. A scripture memory group. It was pretty simple. Uh, we met together once a month, usually with, uh, you know, brown bag lunches type thing at the beginning of the month. And we'd uh, sit around a table and we would talk about uh, a favorite scripture that we wanted to propose that the group adopt and memorize in the next month. And we would different ones share different verses. And ultimately, by a consensus, we'd select our verse. And it would usually be uh, really our passage. It would usually be two, three, five verses that we had selected. And then we would make a commitment to working together over that month to uh, learn the verse. And we had a small group, about 10 or 12 of us. And so what we did was uh, we had a simple little uh, organizational chart, and every week we switched partners. And the reason we did that is because it, it heightened the level, level of accountability uh, because you couldn't slide by with the same person, checking you every week, that kind of thing. So in our scripture memory group, we we met at the beginning of the month, we selected our passage, we started working on it over the month, and every week we got a different accountability partner that would check in with us, and we developed some innovative ways or some creative ways to do the check-ins. We, we'd do our check-ins by voicemail. Uh, we'd call and say, hey, listen, I know you're busy right now, but if you got a second when you can play the voicemail, I want to see if I can do the scripture memory verse for the, week, for the month. And then you'd try to say it over the phone and see if you could get it right. And the other person would listen to it, maybe call you back or send you a message back and say, hey, you got most of it. You missed a couple of words. Keep working on it, that kind of thing. Now, we also would do this sometimes in uh, face-to-face, or we'd sometimes do it over the phone, but we really liked doing it by this uh, voicemail process because it was a surefire way. You, every time you called, you could leave a voicemail, and every time you felt like you had the passage, you could call and leave it and see if you were getting there, and if you weren't, you know, get it corrected, and that kind of back and forth was really helpful to get this done. Now, this special project of Scripture memory raised my uh, self-discipline and self-control by giving me accountability to others, giving me a motivation to accomplish what I had agreed to do as a group, and also just the sheer, the joy of learning God's Word and the impact that had 
in my life as well. So choose a special project like this. After we had done this for a year, uh, an interesting thing happened, and that is a second group formed out of the first group and then maybe some other people who came in, and that was a witnessing support group. It was people who banded together and met every week, or excuse me, once a month uh, to pray for people that they wanted to share the gospel with and to pray for their effectiveness in trying to communicate that. And then uh, we would have that once a week phone call connection with somebody to give an account for how we were doing in our witnessing over the past few days. Now, these kind of group activities raise our level of self-discipline because they give us a finite thing to accomplish with a group of people who are in it who are in it with us and also enough accountability among the group members to keep us straight and keep us moving forward. Now, a couple of things to think about if you're going to do one of these special project type things to raise your self-discipline or self-control. The first thing is um, have realistic goals and uh, expect reasonable results. Remember, we're trying to raise the level of discipline. So if you get it all right the first month, no problems, you probably didn't pick a challenging enough project. This ought to be something you have to work at for a while to come up to the standard. Uh, and then don't go the other extreme. Don't make it so easy that you avoid real challenges. And maybe my experience in this will, will give you some perspective. Uh, I was in that scripture memory group for the whole year. I did not learn all the verses. Oops. Sorry to confess that. I didn't learn all the verses, but I learned a lot of them. I learned most of them. And actually, in the fact that I'm willing to admit that the project was hard enough that I couldn't fully accomplishment, accomplish it, challenging enough that it moved me along to greater levels of self-discipline and self-control, but I also want to be realistic enough to say that, you know what? I couldn't do it all. I didn't accomplish every last bit of it. So there's always still room for growth. So... Work on a special project, like a scripture memory group or a witnessing support group or something like that, where you can band together to raise your level of self-control, raise your level of self-discipline to get the work done. Then, here's a third suggestion. Remember, first suggestion is choose a difficult area and master it. And the second suggestion is to work on a special project. Now, the third is build habits that work for you. Build habits that work for you. Now, Someone said practice makes perfect, but that's not true. Practice makes permanent. And so building habits is the way that you make something more permanent in your life or that you concretize, if you will, something that you really want to accomplish. Now, you're thinking, well, I've tried that. I, I, I've tried to establish new habits and it just hasn't worked for me. Well, I think maybe it's because you're trying to establish a habit of the outcome rather than a habit of a new process. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Um, I, when I was in college and in my early adulthood, really wanted to get up in the mornings and read the Bible. And I really struggled with this. I mean, I would wake up in the mornings and I would just be drugged and groggy and sleepy, and I just couldn't really pull it together and pull it off. And no matter how much I prayed and how hard I worked and how many promises I made, I just never really could stick with that morning Bible reading. And then a friend said, well, why don't you not be so focused on that, and instead, develop the habit of going to bed at 10 p.m. every night. I thought, how will that help? He said, just try it. He said, set a goal to go to bed at 10 p.m. for at least six out of seven nights every week for the next month, and see what that does for your morning Bible reading. Well, he was right. Revolutionize the mornings. 
Because rather than staying awake till 11, 12, 1, 2, I went to bed every night at 10 o'clock. And some days at the beginning, I had to lay there awake trying to get asleep enough or get sleepy enough to finally doze off. But that didn't take very many days of getting up early that I started thinking, man, I can't wait for 10 o'clock to get here. <laughs> so I'd go to bed at the same time every night. Here's what started happening. Eight hours later, I started waking up, rested, refreshed. And guess what? It was a lot easier to do. Read the Bible. What I've discovered over the years is that if I want to read the Bible in the morning, I got to go to bed early in the evening. That the secret to morning Bible reading is not setting a new habit and having the discipline and the control to read the Bible every morning. It's to back it up a step and to go to bed at a reasonable hour every night so that I'm rested when I wake up in the following morning and I can read the Bible and pray because I got the sleep that I needed. So that's just one example. Um, I, I have worked hard at building habits in my life that help me to do that. Uh, things, things like this. You know, when you, when you cha- try to change a habit, uh, it's not so much about, again, focusing on the outcome as it is focusing on the process. Like right now, for example, I have a habit, and that is I leave work every day at the same time. At least that's my goal. I leave work every day at the same time. I drive home, and when I get home, I've developed the habit of immediately changing into my walking or my swimming clothes, immediately. Now, I can't tell you how many times I'm driving home and think, I don't want to swim today. I don't want to walk today. I don't want to exercise today. I just want to sit down in my lazy boy, read a book, watch a little TV. No. If I'm going to develop the habit of exercise, it's not really about exercising. It's saying I'm going to have the habit of as soon as I walk in the door, I'm going to change clothes every day. Because once I've changed clothes, it's like, well, all right, I'm in my walking clothes now. Might as well go walk. Or I got my swimsuit on. Might as well go swim. So for me, habits, again, are not focused on outcomes. I'm going to read the Bible every day. No, that really didn't work for me. The habit was I'm going to develop the habit of going to bed at 10 o'clock every night. When I did that, morning Bible reading became part of my life. Same thing with exercise. I've said a thousand times, I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to walk more. I'm going to swim more. I'm going to do more. But when I finally changed from the outcomes to the process and said, my new habit is I go home, I walk in the door, and I change into my workout clothes. I do that every single day. And when I do that, I find the outcomes flow. And that is, I find myself exercising. So, as a leader, you need more self-discipline. You definitely need more self-control. The Bible says so. It's not about you working up this control of self. It's about God working in you to give you the control of the, or the discipline that you need over yourself. You need these for this for a number of reasons that I outlined at the beginning of the show. But now, three ways that have really helped me over the years to develop greater self-control, greater self-discipline. And so as you're asking God to work these things in your life, these three things have helped me over the years. These three things have made a difference for me. First, master a difficult area. Second, work on a special project. And third, build habits that reinforce what you want to do. Not so much focusing on the outcomes, but habits in the process that get you there. You can put these things to practice starting this week. You will not revolutionize your life in the area of self-discipline or self-control overnight. 
But if you'll put these things into practice, asking God to work through you as he promises in Galatians chapter 5 to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which includes self-control or self-discipline, you will be transformed as you lead on.